first reading is taken from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, from chapter 1. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is taken from James chapter 3, I'm reading verses 1 to 18. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. We'll take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth came praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. 
Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Ken Olson, President, Chairman and Founder of Digital Equipment Corp in 1977. This telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered by a means of communication. The device is inherently of no value to us, said a Western Union internal memo in 1876. We don't like their sound and guitar music is on the way out, said Decca Recording Company, rejecting the Beatles in 1962. Heavier than air flying machines are impossible, said Lord Kelvin, President of the Royal Society in 1895. X-rays will prove to be a hoax, said Lord Kelvin, President of the Royal Society in 1893. We're picking on him tonight. Unworthy attention of practical and scientific men, said the British Parliamentary Committee report on Thomas Edison's electric light bulb. And my favourite, everything that can be invented already has been invented said Charles H. Duell, Commissioner of the US Office of Patents in 1899. These are just some of the comments that people have made in their wisdom down through the years. However, these people were wrong. People are not always as clever as they think they are. James in chapter 3 is speaking to us about wisdom. He's just been talking about how we use our tongues and the destruction that can occur if we don't use our words as we should. And now he turns to the deeper issue of wisdom. And he asks, who is wise and understanding among you? You see, we're all in need of wisdom. Many people today are in pursuit of wisdom. Because wisdom is the knowledge we need to be able to interact with the people around us, to interact with the circumstances we find ourselves in. And people have the desire to make the right decisions that will affect their lives for the good. Wisdom is the ability to look at a situation and choose the right way to handle it. And James compares two basic sources for wisdom. The first is from God and the second is from the world around us. Now, I'm stating the obvious when I say that those two things are completely different. Throughout James, he tells us how to live as Christians in the midst of a fallen world, with all its trials and its temptations and all that is wrong within it. And the Christians he's writing to were struggling with this because things weren't easy for them. 
they'd been tempted to question God's very presence, his care for them and his activity in, our, in their lives. And it's easy for us to fall into that same trap as well. It's easy for us to question whether God's truly active in our lives. It's easy to look at the world around us with all its difficulties and trials and all the stuff that's wrong with it and wonder that how there is a God who is active in the world and how, we're, how we ought to live in the midst of that world with the difficulties around us day by day. We might wonder how we're meant to handle the pressures of life, of work, of financial um, problems, of loneliness, of just whatever it is that we face each day that, where we have the potential to turn away from God. But James is saying that to know how to deal with such, such situations is to be wise. And of course, James makes it very obvious that human wisdom isn't in fact wisdom at all. The only true wisdom that exists is from God, or from above, as he puts it. And to the man who is wise, he says, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. He describes a good life, and he gives guidance for pursuing it. And in the last few verses of chapter 3, he contrasts true and false wisdom. And he essentially asks, how can I live the good life? Wouldn't it be great if we knew the answer to that one? Well, James tells us that the good life cannot be found by seeking it directly. But when you seek wisdom, the good life will follow. It comes from wisdom. And he points out that false wisdom comes from jealousy and selfish ambition. It comes from characteristics that where people think they're better than other people. Or where people think that they've got nothing to learn from anyone else. And it's those people who think they're above others who are actually, according to James, not wise at all. The wisdom they practice doesn't come from God. And because of that, actions don't quite stand up to what God's expectations are of us, or perhaps what his standards are. True wisdom, however, is open to others. It's pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's submissive. And James' James' emphasis is that wisdom cannot be found unless it's pursued in a spirit of meekness. Meekness is necessary for wisdom, which in turn leads to the good life. And this goes against everything the world tells us, doesn't it? So many people believe you can reach the good life, you can't reach the good life, unless you're important or recognised leader in your field, or if you're not at the top of the business world or that kind of thing. But think about it for the moment. What is the good life? Is it one where there's no trials or suffering? Is it one without difficulty or of any description? If only. It's a life lived with meekness. And that's the first thing that James describes wisdom as, as meek. So if we're to be meek, how do we do this? What does it mean in practice? If we think about previous chapters, he tells us that if we're lacking in wisdom, we should ask God who gives to all men generously and without reproaching, and it will be given to him. This makes it perfectly clear. God is the source of true wisdom. And not only that, but he's willing to give it to us when we ask. And the beginning of wisdom for James is acknowledging that wisdom comes from God 
and not from anyone or anywhere else. And so to be wise is to know that and to be willing to receive from him. And that's where being meek comes in. We can't be wise without God. We can't cultivate our own wisdom. We're God's children and we must rely on him to give us everything that we have, including wisdom. But we need to be ready and willing to receive from him. We need to recognise that it's God who gives us life and all that we need. We rely on him for all things. It's kind of like saying we're to receive from God the things that we can't gain ourselves. We're not trusting in ourselves. We're not relying on ourselves. But we're trusting in and we're relying on God. We're fully dependent on God who is good and generous and who loves us all. So to be wise is to be meek and to know that we alone can't sustain our lives. Only God can do that. So how do we know who is wise? Well, good works are the mark of someone who is wise. In other words, we'll know wisdom by its fruits. As usual, the author of James is practical and down to earth in what he writes. And to him, the gift of wisdom is incredibly practical. He's already said that you can tell if someone is wise because of the good works it produces. And now the realities of true or false wisdom is exposed. False wisdom, or maybe we could describe it as worldly wisdom. Well, that wisdom is evidenced in selfish ambition, envy, boastfulness. In other words, it's self-centred and inward-looking. James describes it in verse 15 as unspiritual, earthly and demonic. The true wisdom that comes from above as God's gift, however, is demonstrated by qualities of peacefulness, gentleness, considerate, consideration, mercy, and other fruits that don't show things like hypocrisy or selfishness. In other words, it could be summarised with the word goodness. These qualities sound a lot like the qualities of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You see, true wisdom isn't good advice or good ideas or knowing which side of a debate to agree with. Wisdom is real when it's put into action. And by put into action, I don't mean the odd charitable act from time to time, but everything about how we live, how we deal with our family and friends, how we deal with our fellow students or our work colleagues or how we choose to spend our time. And just generally how we go about our ordinary, everyday lives. To live as people who are wise It means we're not gaining identity from the things we do or the things we achieve or what others might think of us. But we're receiving our identity and our life from God. And that means we don't look to people around us or to our circumstances, be they good or otherwise, to tell us who we really are. We don't look to people to give us self-worth. We don't look to our situation to give us our life and our livelihood. Instead, We look wholly to God. To be wise is to see whatever our current circumstances are. They can't tell the story of our real worth or limit our ability to receive full life from God. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing can stop God from loving us or having a plan for us. And to be wise is to recognise that it's God and no one else who makes us who we are. And that's not easy to do in this day and age. There's always 
loads of pressures on people to have a picture-perfect life and to be successful in all that we do, or at least that's what we're told, isn't it? And it's tempting, therefore, to notice everything that is wrong with our lives. It's tempting, therefore, to think about the things that are not perfect and compare our lives to others. And it's difficult not to pull yourself down as you do so or pull someone else down instead. And it's that kind of thing that James warns us against. He talks about, he warns against jealousy and selfish ambition. Because when we're like that, we're not trusting in God to give us life in the midst of our trials or to lead us to be the people he wants us to be. And the thing is that those things, selfish ambition and jealousy, they don't reflect to the world the real truth about who we are and where real life is to be found. They don't reflect that to a watching world. They don't reflect anything of God. And the author of James knows this. He knows that people are constantly struck with the temptation to be jealous or selfish. He knows that when we're struggling, that temptation is increased. So we're told not to boast or be false to the truth. Wisdom can't come out of the heart of someone who's jealous or selfish. Meekness won't be found in the heart of someone who thinks only of themselves. And it's when we act this way we put a wedge between us and God. We've already heard how these things are earthly, unspiritual and even demonic. It leads to nothing other than destruction and death. Yet to the world it's seen as advanced, as a good thing, as being worldly wise. But the main problem with these things actually is that it's God and no one else who is the source of our lives. And as soon as we act as if that's not the case then we're not relying on him as we should, and we're not acting as he'd want us to. We need to get rid of anything in our lives, and by that I suppose I mean attitudes that stop us from relying wholly on God. It's hard to find rest or be content when we're constantly comparing ourselves to others, when we're trying to live as the world lives. As Christians, we're called to live a life fully relying on God to provide all things. So we know that worldly wisdom is no good for us. It's not what God wants us to pursue. So let's think briefly about what the wisdom what the wisdom that God gives us. We're told that every perfect gift is from above. God's wisdom is part of the good and perfect gifts that he wants to give us. God's wisdom is pure and it's perfect. And the most important thing that God's give, God gives us is himself. And as we, we grow in wisdom, we're filled with his one real life. When we have wisdom, we're no longer double-minded and we become more like the people we were created to be. God's wisdom brings us peace because when we truly know and put into practice the truth that it is God who gives us our lives and gives us our identities, then we've nothing to prove, have we? There's nothing we can manipulate. We can live in peace. God's wisdom is gentle, not violent. It's open and not threatened. And the wisdom God gives us is full of mercy and good fruits. The wisdom is from God because this is God. God is truly amazing. He is pure, he is peaceable, he is gentle. He's all those things and a whole load more. 
And best of all, he gives his wisdom to those who ask him. True wisdom is from God. It is a gift from God. It bears fruit and that fruit has its roots in God. God shares himself with us and his wisdom brings us peace with God and peace with each other. And this is something that the world can't give to us. God gives us his Holy Spirit to work in and through us, to make us more like the people he wants us to be. And that is a hard way to live in today's culture. It really is. But when we rely on God, when we rely on the Holy Spirit to guide us and to lead us, then we'll be truly wise. It's much easier to go through life when we've got people around us supporting us. And the same is true when we live in relationship where we're fully trusting God for all things. That doesn't mean life's going to be easy, but it means that we've got him there no matter what. Wisdom doesn't come from people. It doesn't come from the world. It doesn't come from vast amounts of knowledge. It comes from living life in relationship with God, living with him in charge of our lives instead of us. And it was a man called Andrew Murray who said, God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to him. To be wise is to live a life fully yielded to him, to trust him in all things, to allow his Holy Spirit to work in you, to allow his Holy Spirit to work through you, to put him wholly, 100%, completely in charge of your life. So what is wisdom? Who is wise? It's not anyone who thinks they can live without God in control. It's the one who knows that all things, and by all I mean all, all things come from God, and it's on him we can fully rely.